This is Witness Radio with Ryan Muniak, where you learn biblical evangelism from real-life encounters. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Our feedback line is 513-900-8070, and the website is witnesstalkradio.org. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. This episode of Witness Radio is brought to you by Audible. I know you like listening to stuff because you're listening to me right now. So go to witnesstalkradio.org slash audible and sign up for a free audiobook and 30-day trial today. Today I have with me Tim Chafee, the author of a new book called Noah, Man of Destiny. Tim is the content manager of attractions for Answers in Genesis. He's earned multiple master's degrees. He's the founder and director of Midwest Apologetics, and he's also a cancer survivor. He's been in full remission, though, since September of 2006. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So, first things first, something I always try to get out of everybody is, when did the Lord save you? How did that all take place? It's probably not unique at all. I think there are a lot of... uh believers who grow up this way. You grow up in a Christian home. You grow up always believing. I can't think of a day of my life where I didn't, you know, once I became aware of certain things, where I didn't realize that I was a sinner, that I needed Jesus Christ, um, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose from the dead. So I can't point to a single day where I said, okay, this is the day that I got saved. I know when I went forward in church and professed my faith to the congregation. Um, I know the day that I was, um, I know, I remember when I was baptized, um, after professing my faith. Um, so I can remember all of those things, but really ever since uh, being a young child, I've always believed. And um, it, I, so I can't pinpoint a day. I, I can't, sometimes I wish I could because if people have these glowing testimonies and I just, I can't think of that. Yeah. Um, so, but, but at the same time, I'm thankful that God has always uh, kept me and protected me from getting into things that I shouldn't have been doing. Do you remember there was a time in your life where you just felt changed, like you had a new relationship with sin? I, I can think of a couple of instances in my life where where I really remember um, God working in my heart and um, really uh, directing me toward him. Um, so I, there was one instance when I was uh, 12 years old where I can— I, always think back to that point where I realized, yeah, I want to serve the Lord with my life. Um, at that point, I had already considered myself a believer, um, but I do remember, uh, you know, a couple of instances where it was, there was this very uh, real sense that um, God was, God was changing me. He was um, moving me more in his direction. And, uh, but at the same time, I don't know that I would say that was the day that I was saved because I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's right. I, but like I said, I'd like to be able to pinpoint a day, and I just yeah, you know. no, and that, and that's fine. It's just th- there are some people who can't even think of you know where things were different, right? You know, and, and you were able to at least say, yeah, I do. I don't remember exactly when, but I do remember there was a change, mm-hmm. and and that's good. That that's what you look for in, in someone's. Uh, salvation testimony is when was the change? Even if you don't can't tell me it was January first, two thousand seventeen. So now you said in your testimony that you remember there being a point where you wanted to serve the Lord with your life. What did you feel the Lord calling you to do at that point? 
at that point, I, I really wasn't sure. Um, I know going throughout high school, I thought I would probably do youth ministry. Um, and even in Bible college, that was um, my minor was in youth and family studies, and I thought that's what I was going to do. Uh, but coming out of Bible college, the only uh, the only thing that the Lord directed me to was pastoral ministry, which I had never planned on. I had just been preaching at a church for a few months on the side to help uh, pay the bills for school, and uh, also because I had a series of sermons that I, that I had worked on. And this church said, why don't you apply for our pastoral position? I said, well, I'm going to be a youth minister. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, I, I was willing to go just about anywhere and sent resumes everywhere. And the only position that was ever there was this one. And uh, I even told the church on my cover letter, I, I don't agree with you on this, this, and this, and this. Okay, well, <laughs> you're going to be our pastor. And it was uh, ever since that role, that was back in 2001, um, I've never really applied for a position. It's always been it's been presented to me, and it's as if God's saying, "Okay, now it's time to move you here. Now it's time to move you here." And uh, just trying to be sensitive to that. And um, thankfully, He hasn't moved me for a while because I like where I'm at. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of God ordained moments happening in your life. Mm-hmm. What happened when you left the pastorate? Did you feel God leading you in a different direction? Uh, actually, while I was a pastor, uh, the, f- the first church I was a pastor, I was there for three years. It was, the, it was a little, little rural church, so I was the only uh, pastor there. But during that time, I started teaching full-time at a Christian school, too. And so I was full-time pastor, full-time teacher. And I realized on day one of teaching that I was a teacher, not a preacher. That was where my gifts were. And uh, so I, I enjoyed I really enjoyed both, but things didn't end very well at the first congregation, uh, unfortunately. But um, I, I figured they didn't start very well with you saying, I don't agree with about 50 things <laughs> right. that you do. Yeah, uh, there were a few major doctrinal points that I put on there. and um, But I can still look back on it and say, yeah, this is, God was using this time to prepare me. And um, so I, I was there for three years, taught for six, and then I became an associate pastor for two years at a at a church, and that went great. Uh, everything there was, um, I got along with the pastor great. His strengths were my weaknesses and vice versa, and there, you know, everything was, was great. And then I got a call from Answers in Genesis and said, hey, we want you to apply for this position. And <laughs> I thought, why did you call now? Why not years and years ago when things were going really tough? But uh, God was preparing me over that time, and uh, he knew when he wanted me to be here, and um, I was just trying to be faithful to follow. Did Answers in Genesis start first, or did your personal ministry, Midwest Apologetics, did that start first? Uh, I started that back in 2005 while I was a, a teacher, and uh, you know I, I've had a passion for apologetics for a long time, uh, for about 20, well, over 20 years now, and uh, I wanted to... The, the, I had been a pastor for three years. I had been teaching apologetics in uh, in a Christian school, and so I wanted to start a website and go out and do some speaking. And so I started that in 2005 and um, had done that on the side for a while. Um, I've been doing it for 11 years on the side, I guess. It's, it's never been my, my day job, um, but, but that's okay. I, I enjoy what I'm doing, and I enjoy working on that as well. Very cool. So what is Midwest Apologetics all about? I mean, obviously apologetics, but mm-hmm. w- what's your niche? Uh, you know, I've got a, a, a lot of different interests, uh, but if, sometimes I think I should call it uh, Midwest Apologetics slash hermeneutics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
Uh, actually, I just need a new name altogether. That's really long. And you, <laughs> but uh, I, what I've noticed is a lot of Christians don't even understand how to read the Bible, how to understand it. And there's mm-hmm. so many passages that are misused and abused. And even from well-meaning uh, conservative believers, there's a lot of passages that they don't ever really give a second thought to. They just assume it says one thing. And when you look at it, it's like, you know, that's not what the Bible teaches there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the articles I have on my blog um, have to do with uh, properly interpreting Scripture. But then there are uh, other times where I'm um, dealing with some of the various attacks on Scripture. You know, but when I started, it was back in 05, so the Da Vinci Code was big. And so I did uh, things on that and gave talks on that. Um, and so I, I would say the two big areas would be creation, uh, that you know, outgrowth of what I do here, and then the resurrection would be the the other big area, and for me, a bigger area. Let, let's go into that a little bit. Why are you, for lack of a better term, obsessed with the resurrection? That seems to be a big focus looking at your website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a great word. I'm okay with being obsessed with the resurrection <laughs> because I think the early church was. I think that the disciples were. Um, if you look in the book of Acts, anytime you have a sermon from one of the apostles, every single time it centers on the resurrection. And in our churches today, I think a lot of times we forget the importance of that event. We, you know, praise God, there are still some churches where they preach the cross because we know there's some that don't even do that. But there, if you think about it, the way that people share the gospel, a lot of times the resurrection is left out. And yet Paul said that the gospel he preached, 1 Corinthians 15, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And if you if you just read through the New Testament, you look at the number of times uh, talking about Christ was raised from the dead, or you know the time the number of times that they mention the resurrection or that they focus on the resurrection, it's constant. And uh, we we I think we've neglected that in our day because we've become so focused on other issues, uh, you know, maybe debates about the cross, what Jesus accomplished, which and those are all extremely important. Um, but one of the things I like to say is that. It is, it's indeed good news that Jesus died for your sins, but it doesn't become the good news till he rises from the dead. Mm. And I hope people, your listeners understand what I mean by that. It's not, not in any way to diminish the cross. You need both. It's like two sides of the same coin. Right. It's like repent and believe the gospel that Jesus said in order to be saved. It's two sides of the same coin. You're right. That's like, I think that's pretty, a pretty fair analogy. Yeah. Let's talk about your cancer. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of cancer did you have? I was diagnosed with acute promyelocytic leukemia, and it took me about a month to learn how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said it, not me. Right. Uh, so it's a rare form of leukemia. Um, what was happening in my body is that I was actually being suffocated. My, my um, white blood cells were being built up in my system, but they were, they were um, I think they call them lymphoblasts. They weren't... Um, productive, so, but they could reproduce. So they just started to fill up my system. My body knew it was trying to fight something off, but it couldn't. And so pretty soon the red blood cells couldn't get to where they need to go. And so I was, I was suffocating without realizing it. And um, so I spent a month in the hospital, went through four uh, rounds of chemotherapy, and um, I lost all of my hair. <laughs> I, I joke about that. You listeners can't see me. I've, I've been bald for a long time. So <laughs> that, was, that wasn't much of a concern. Um, but uh, I, I tell people this, I didn't want leukemia, and I don't want it to come back, but I would not trade it for anything. Uh, God did so many things for me, and um, I, I think through me during that time, and even since then, he's allowed me to do things that I never would have been able to do before. You know, I have an opportunity to to minister to, to cancer 
um, people who are fighting it right now, you know, when they hear that I'm a survivor, that, that so there's a connection there instantly that I never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just an extra opportunity to to minister to people. And um, so in a sense, I, I thank God that I went through that, even though it might seem pretty strange. I don't want it to come back. I don't want to thank him again for it. Right. <laughs> So when you were going through the cancer, dealing with it, would you say that it helped you to grow in your faith, to draw closer to the Lord? Yeah, I I would say it did. Uh, One thing I thought about while I was going through it, I thought, well, I've got a lot of time in the hospital to, you know, I could really focus on praying and and getting growing close to the Lord. But because of the effects of chemotherapy, you really can't focus. I mean, it's very, very difficult to focus. So that didn't happen. In fact, I thought I could get a lot of reading done. I can only think of two days out of a a month that I actually read while I was in the hospital. It's just, I, it was so hard to focus. They call it chemo brain. And mm. I try to use that as an excuse now when I forget, but my wife doesn't buy it um, <laughs> because that was <laughs> 10 years ago. But um, it, it really was a time that um, I, I can look back on. I remember being wheeled into the ICU uh, about four days after I was admitted to the hospital and, and things were really not looking good at all when you're heading to the ICU. And I remember thinking, you know, I've told my students time and time again, you know, when things are going well, you you got to make sure you praise God. But when things are going tough, you got to make sure you praise Him. And I thought, time to put, you know, t- time to walk the walk. Right. And um, and I, for the most part, I think I was able to do that. And uh, there were some things that God did during that time that were so encouraging to me. While I was in the ICU, uh, I think it was the the third night I was in there. It didn't look like I was going to make it through the night. And I, had, my wife and my mom were there, and I told them, I said, look, if I fall asleep. That's it. I'm not going to wake up. Well, we got two emails in the next couple of days from two women that at the time we had never met, uh, but I was on prayer lists all around the country. And both of them said something like, we don't know if there was any urgent need or anything, but God woke me up from this time to this time. And all I could think about doing was praying for Tim. Um, We don't know if there was any urgent need. Well, the time they wrote down was the exact time I told my wife that I wasn't going to make it. And so I wasn't instantly cured of, of leukemia at that point, but in a sense, it was like God was saying, Tim, I'm I'm right here. I got you. Um, and my prayer during that whole time was, Lord, if you want to take me, I'm I'm ready. I'll be much happier there. Um, but at the same time, if you want me to be here, make sure I use this for you. Amen. That is amazing mm-hmm. to to hear that. Wow. Being a cancer survivor, what would you say to someone who is going through a battle with cancer right now? It's sometimes it can be a little awkward because I'm on the other side of it and they're still in the midst of it. And sometimes, you know, their prognosis doesn't look good at all. Whereas mine, once we got it under control, there was a very uh, high success rate of treatment as long as you can make it through what they call the induction stage uh, with my type of leukemia. So I, I always uh, counsel people that um, no matter how difficult life becomes, no matter how uh, tough things are, God is there. And it sounds a little bit cliche, but it's like the the Footprints poem. I mean, mm-hmm. that um, in the toughest times of our life, sometimes we think God isn't there, but He He's the one carrying us. And if we uh, will will lean on Him and, and trust in Him, um, yeah, He will bring us through those things. And maybe that just means we're not going to make it, and we're going to be with Him, um, which. You know, to live as Christ, to die as gain, I think is the mentality we need to have. Uh, but one of the things that helped me a lot, and it really has to do with the Ministry of Answers in Genesis and other creationist ministries, I never asked the question, why me? And I'm not trying to be super spiritual. It's just that I already knew why me. 
God made a perfect world and we wrecked it. The reason cancer, the reason all these you know, suffering and death are in this world is because of us. So it's, I can't shake my fist at God and say, God, why would you do this? It's, God, why did it take so long? Because I've been a sinner much longer than I've got leukemia when I was 32. I had sinned many times before that and deserved it long before that. Uh, I'm not saying that leukemia came on as a result of one particular sin. I have no way of knowing that. But as a sinner living in a sin-cursed world, that's part of what can happen. And, uh, you know, we did that through our sin. Mm. We'll be right back with more from Tim Chafee right after the break. This is Witness Radio. You know you should read your Bible every day, but things just seem to get in the way. How would you like it if someone else did the reading for you? Bible 365 is a new podcast that reads your daily dose of scripture for you. There's no annoying chapter breaks to distract you or personal commentary to confuse you. Just listen to God's Word on Bible 365 and you'll get through the whole Bible in one year. Go to muniacfamily.com slash Bible365 or find Bible365 on your favorite podcast app. There are things that cause the heart to wonder. Awe-inspiring things that can't be explained. That you never thought you would see. After more than 4,000 years, it's your moment to encounter the Ark. The voyage begins again, July 7. Do you enjoy listening to Witness Radio? Would you like to help us continue making great content for you? Then please visit witnesstalkradio.org slash audible and sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible. You'll get a free audiobook of your choice and you'll be supporting this show. Need a suggestion? How about Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World by Ken Ham and Steve Ham? It doesn't cost you a dime, but it's a huge help to us and you get a free audiobook out of the deal. So go to witnesstalkradio.org slash audible and start your free trial today. The children of Lima, Peru face many difficulties. Hunger, neglect, abuse, and most importantly, a lack of the gospel. Heart of Christ Ministries seeks to bring the gospel and to fulfill the other needs of the children. Please consider partnering with us. You can sponsor a child for just $25 a month, and there are many other ways to help. Please visit hofcm.org. Welcome back to Witness Radio. We're talking with Tim Chafee, the content manager of attractions for Answers in Genesis. One of the reasons he's here today, aside from telling us his amazing testimony, talking about his struggle and overcoming of cancer, is he's got a new book out. It's called Noah, Man of Destiny. It's actually a fictional title. And that's my first question to you, Tim, is, you know, a lot of atheists are out there and they say that we believe in a book of fiction. Mm -hmm. So aside from what the atheists want you to believe, Answers in Genesis doesn't really delve into the fiction realm. So why did you decide to write a fictional account of Noah's life? Uh, well, it started off with um, working for the Ark Encounter. We have an exhibit called Who Was Noah? How Could He Build the Ark? And the idea was, you know, I was told to write a little bit of a backstory to help explain how Noah might have been able to acquire those gifts. You know, this is a themed attraction. We have multiple signs where we talk about, you know, we're using artistic license here. And when I presented this backstory, several people said, hey, you know, that's really good. You should turn that into a novel. And I thought, I don't know if I want to do that because I, I'm worried about putting words in Noah's mouth. You know, I don't want mm-hmm. to get to heaven and have him slap me and say, what are you thinking? Uh, but 
the more I thought about it, you know, and the more times I heard people say things uh, about the pre-flood world that just aren't borne out in Scripture, or the things that I hear them say about Noah that just are so um, stereotypical but aren't based in Scripture, I thought, you know what, we can do this in a way that will break a lot of those stereotypes, and we can have forty pages of nonfiction at the end where we do a Q and A talking about a lot of the questions that arise in the book, um, and so we were able to craft a very, I think, a very unique look at Noah's life while still uh, implementing as much of that of what we read in Scripture from Genesis 1 through 6 into it. Um, but fiction can be very powerful. Uh, I know in my own life there have been a few novels that have really impacted my own spiritual walk. Uh, you look at, even in Scripture, and this is not the exact same thing, but parables are told. Uh, so there are some times where a story is used to teach a a greater truth. And I'm not saying that our story is allegory or parable. I'm, that's not at all. But um, there are some people who won't read nonfiction. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who read fiction. So why not give them the truth in a, in a way that they're going to be able to look into it? Um, and you know, it, I mentioned earlier that my ministry on the side, I like to make, I like to help people understand how to properly interpret. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching this, it's kind of funny uh, because there were a lot of problems with the show, but the the Bible miniseries that was out a few years ago, uh-huh. uh, the New Testament one, uh, one of the New Testament, I remember when Paul, Saul, is blinded and he goes to see Ananias. And when he walks in, there's Ananias who he looks like he's my age and he's, his hair's buds. And I was like, that's not Ananias. Ananias had a long beard and white hair. And then I thought, wait, <laughs> where did the Bible ever say that? That was just my own idea that I had stuck in there. Every time I read through there, this is what Ananias looks like. He's an old guy who looks like this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, it's interesting to see somebody else's take on it because he might have looked like that. And we get so many times we fill in the gaps in Scripture, you know, with how things look the way we think they are, that a lot of times we end up thinking that that is what Scripture says. And so with the Noah novel, we we intentionally did not do a lot of things people would expect just to challenge those preconceptions. But if if it's in Scripture, we keep that. So by the end of the third book, yes, there will be a flood. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Okay. So this is – that's right. I, I forgot. This is only part one mm-hmm. uh, of a three-part series. Yep. That's a lot of information to be – putting out there. And one problem that people have when you mix fact with fiction, much like you were talking about uh, dealing with with, with the Da Vinci Code oh, yeah. uh, years ago, is they couldn't tell between what was true and what was made up from that movie and from the book series. So did you create any safeguards to help people differentiate between true and false in your books? We did. In fact, we begin it with a a dear reader section that we say, look, this is a work of fiction, but here is what Scripture tells us about Noah. And anything beyond that really is going to be our backstory that um, we are, we're basing on Scripture, but there are a lot of things that are just fiction that we really can't know. Um, But then also that 40 pages of Q&A at the end of the book deal with a lot of those issues to say, here's what the Bible says on this issue. And, and we're able to explain why we made some of the decisions we did. You know, why did, um, how come in the in the fourth chapter, there's a, uh, the road that they were walking on had been um, destroyed by a, a, a storm, by rainfall um, and flowing water when a lot of people say the, that it never rained before the flood. Well, we wanted to deal with that issue. So here we put something in there where for the people who had heard that it never rained, they would think, wait a second, what's going on here? And so in the back of the book, we explain the different positions on that. Uh, so we're able to challenge some of those ideas, but at the same time, e- explain ourselves to help people understand, look, this is um, 
here's what scripture teaches. Here's why we made the decision that we did. Um, because you're right there. It's very easy to, to mix between scripture and our own ideas. But we, like I mentioned before, we do that every time we read the Bible. If I said David and Goliath, in your mind, you just pictured what they're looking like. And yeah, yet we don't uh, have any idea what they look like. Right. We have a little bit of idea, but most of the time we're probably wrong. Yes. And, David or Goliath probably was not a giant pickle. <laughs> he wasn't a giant pickle, and David was not a little asparagus. In fact, David was not little at all, if you read Scripture. So we have an article on the website that I wrote about that on AnswersInGenesis.org. You say that this whole book series got started by creating the backstory for the Ark Encounter. Mm -hmm. So would you say that someone who's read this book is going to kind of be let down when they go through the arc and they, they're like, oh, I've read this already. Uh, I don't think so. I think it'll enhance it quite a bit. Uh, in fact, just last night I w or yesterday afternoon, I was uh, speaking with somebody who told me that they just loved um, Noah's wife at the ark, you know, the, the way she was portrayed. And um, I said, well, and she was holding a copy of my book. I said, well, you're going to love her a lot more after you read that um, mm -hmm. because you get to see the personality that we're giving them. Um, but it's not repetitive in the sense that, um, you know, what we're teaching in this first book, it's, we're, we're portraying Noah as a young man in book one. He's just turned 40. He's uh, setting out on his own. It's kind of a coming-of-age adventure. And uh, we'll fast forward in the second novel to the time that the Bible speaks more about when he's having his sons and, and those kind of things. But um, it, it it isn't repeating so much of what's in the ark. It's enhancing it. So, okay. in fact, you'll get to see a lot of the things in the ark that we talk about in the novel. And there's even a section at the very end called Encounter This, where we list about 12, 12 to 15 items that are talked about in the book that you can see on the ark. And we'll tell you where you can find them. So it's just a way of helping the story come alive a little bit for people that maybe have read the novel. Okay. So this is more, can actually be like an accompaniment Mm -hmm. for the Ark Encounter itself. Yeah, and I think on uh, Ken's blog, he said it's essentially like the official backstory for the Ark Encounter of, of Noah. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep the word essentially in there because it's not, not like it is the official, but it lines up very, very well. In fact, we have an animatronic Noah on the second floor who answers questions, and the way he answers them, is they're really based on the novel that we wrote. Okay. So now, who did you write the book for? I mean, obviously, for Answers in Genesis, for the Ark Encounter, but who was your target audience when, in mind when you were writing this, and what were you hoping to accomplish with it? Uh, really, it's um, our target, uh, target audience would be people who are interested in Noah at all or have heard about Noah, and uh, we want them to, um, to think deeply about what the Bible does say. You know, our, one of our goals in doing it, and we've talked about it a little bit, is to to take another look at Scripture. So when they see that the road has been destroyed by rain, well, wait, let me go back to the Bible. Does it really say it never rained before the flood, or does it say it had not rained up until day six at that point, which is what is going on in Genesis 2-5, and, and there's much more to be said about that. But um, they'll have to read the back of the book to get that. Okay. <laughs> we have articles on the Answers in Genesis website that deal with that. But um, I wanted, really our goal is to, to by Breaking some of those stereotypes is to direct people back to Scripture. Look, does the, what does the Bible really say, or have I just added these ideas? If you think about, uh, if you ask most Christians, what did Noah do before the flood? Well, he was this preacher that went around and nobody listened to him. And, and they think that's kind of his life. Well, when God says build the ark, if that's what Noah was, how is he going to build an ark? 
well, what if he was a shipbuilder from a young age? What if that? What if he was already a, a very skilled carpenter or shipwright? And uh, that's how we imagined him: is that somebody who was always interested in woodworking, and um, then he became a, a, an apprentice shipbuilder from from a young age. Then it makes sense when God says, "Build the ark." Mm. Okay, I can do that. Um, I, I like to say that God equips those that He calls, and He calls those that He, he equips. Okay, that's very neat. I, I, I'm only up through chapter two so far, so I'm not very far okay. into the book yet. <laughs> but from what I've read so far, it, it is very good and very captivating, uh, especially the that first chapter. Uh, I won't give it away, but it, it's very exciting. Well, and I'll just give you a hint. That first chapter has to do with something in Genesis 1 through 6, even though you won't see it. Um, it, you really won't see it much in the first novel. If you're really looking deeply into it, you might figure out what's going on. But in the second book, it'll become very clear what's going on. And it's something right from the page of the scripture. That is neat. And, and, and I love that the book should cause people to go to scripture to see exactly what scripture says, to study the scriptures, which is not something that another person who created a movie about Noah his goal was not that. Uh, the atheist director, Darren Aronofsky, he recently claimed artistic license when creating the, and I quote, the least biblical biblical film ever made. How much artistic license did you use, and how do you know where to draw the line in determining how much artistic license to use? Yeah. Um, well, let's define artistic license in the sense that the when the writer or an artist is, is going um, into the unknown, what we don't know about Noah, and we're filling in some gaps, filling in details that aren't given to us. What we did as a safeguard is don't ever knowingly contradict Scripture. And that was really our guideline. If, if the Bible says this about Noah, well, then we have to do this about Noah. If the Bible doesn't say it, we do have some freedom here, but let's make sure we don't contradict anything else that we might know about him. Um, for example, the Bible didn't tell us what Noah ate prior to the flood. We know that in Genesis 1, God commanded man and also the animals to eat vegetation. Well, we also know people had corrupted themselves. It was very wicked by the time Noah was around, but he was a righteous man. So we're not going to have him eat meat because it wasn't until Genesis 9, 3 that God says now you're permitted to eat meat. But some of the unbelievers at that time probably were doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see that kind of distinction in the novels. Um, yeah, Darren Aronofsky, I, when I think about that Noah movie, I had to watch it. Uh, actually, I watched it twice. I had to write the review on our website. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the way I look at it, and really this is what I looked at for the Ark Encounter, if the Noah movie did it, do the exact opposite, and you're probably going to be biblical. Because I, I think they did look at Scripture, and I think they said, Let, how can we twist it as much as possible? Mm. And our goal was, let's study Scripture, and let's create a story that fits that's seamlessly in with the characters that we read about and the, the people that are there, uh, but at the same time help people understand, here's the Bible, and this other stuff is story. You might have fun reading it, but the authority is Scripture, not us. Right. Now, there were some interesting names that were created throughout the story, like earth shakers or bounders. Where did you get these unique names for the different animals and plants? And if you wouldn't mind explaining what some of them 
really are. Sure. Uh, the The reason we came up with different names for the plants and the animals is we wanted to ha- give this a little bit of an otherworldly feel. Um, you know, Noah would not have called a dog a dog. You know, I don't know what they called it at that time, but it wouldn't have been a dog. But didn't uh, Adam name it dog? Back <laughs> probably not back dog. Oh. <laughs> he might have named it wolf or something. But if you think about the way the animals are named, it, you know, we have a we actually have a question on this in the back of the book. Uh, that we give four different ways that animals are named. Sometimes it's by their appearance, sometimes it's by their, their function, sometimes it's by the sound or the noise that they make, uh, sometimes it's by their scientific designation. And um, so some of these, like earth shakers, well, that would be something like a, a sauropod dinosaur. Well, why? Because the earth shakes when that thing walks. Mm. And so it's a kind of a natural name. It might sound a little goofy, but if you're the one coming up with the names, um, and sometimes you're going to describe what you see or what you feel or hear when it, when it's around. So uh, that's how we went with it. Other times the name just it's just a different name. I think we call um, we use the name Terok um, for something that's like a, a a vulture or a hawk of some kind. And um, yeah, so we just we wanted to use different words for the animals and for the plants uh, so that it would have that uh, that otherworldly feel in in that sense. You kind of exposed people to some extra biblical beliefs that most creationists have regarding the world before the flood. Why did you decide to do that through a fictional novel? Uh, I think I would say that one of the things we talked about earlier is that fiction can be very powerful for people. Um, It's... It's a way. There's a way to teach truth through fiction that will impact people that maybe will not be willing to pick up a nonfiction book. You know, we've got the New Answers books here at the ministry, and um, they do a wonderful job of explaining a whole. You know, some of these important questions people have. But there's some people who just aren't going to pick up a non a large nonfiction book and read it and get that answer. But we can work that into a fictional story, and they already have this preconceived notion about how things must have been or what they think Noah was like or uh, who his wife was and, and all these different things. And we thought, you know what, let's turn some of those things that aren't from the Bible. Let's turn them on their head so right away that jumps out to them. And then we can explain in the back of the book, look, here is what the scripture actually says. Here's what a lot of people have believed through the years. Um, you know, here's, here's a good example. If you ask people how long did it take Noah to build the ark, well, right away you get 120 years or 100 years, and yet neither one of them is accurate. We don't know the exact number of years, but when God told Noah to build the ark, he said it's for you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. So it sounds like the sons were already grown up and married at that point. Uh, so how long would that have been? Well, it was, had to be much less than 100 years because Noah was uh, 500 years old when his firstborn was born. And so you got to have the three boys born, grow up, get married, and then God tells them, start building the ark. So there's there's so many things, and that won't come into play until the third book, but um, so many things like that that people have these ideas about Scripture that just aren't borne out by a a deeper study of the text. Hmm. Okay. When is, you know, this is part of a three-part series, Tim, when's the next book expected to be released? Uh, We're hoping to have it ready to go by this coming summer, so hopefully by May. Uh, we're working on it right now and trying to get it finished by then. Um, but writing a novel is a lot of work. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun to dream up the ideas, and some chapters are really fun to write, and other chapters, it's a little bit of drudgery trying to get through them, depending on if you've got writer's block or just if, if that's your style. You know, there's like action and dialogue, I can do that all day long. And then other scenes where it's just where there's not much happening, but you have to you have to do it to carry the story. Sometimes that can take me a while to write it. Mm. Yeah, I'm more of a short and sweet to the uh, straight to the point kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So e- even you know when I was in college and they said you have to have a 500 word 
essay or something, I'm like, I can give it to you in 10. <laughs> Why do I need 490 more words? Yeah. I remember those days. <laughs> so what else do you have coming up? What's on the horizon for you? you have any conferences, other books that you're working on? Uh, at this time, I don't think I have any um, scheduled speaking events out to next year, which is good because I had so many this year. Um, I was in Florida and California and uh, just recently up near Chicago. I was in New York. So I tra- did a lot more traveling this year than I've ever done. So right now I'm, I'm kind of glad that I don't have any too many things lined up. Um, I'm going to be doing a – I've got the other two novels to, to finish. Um, I've got another book that I've been working on uh, that's nonfiction and um, – the, so in between the novels, I keep working on that one. And uh, then I'm also going to be working on a – been talking with a good friend of mine, and you probably know Eric Hovind. Yeah. Uh, we've, been, we've done a, a DVD series on the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've talked about doing another uh, DVD series on uh, a lot of questions that people just have about Scripture in general. Uh, so doing a, a broad-based apologetics uh, DVD series. So I don't know if that's going to come to fruition, but we've we've – kicked around the idea quite a bit, so I want to develop that a little more. Yeah, so it'll, there are a lot of things to keep me busy. We've got plenty of exhibits that we still have to work on for the ARC and for the museum. And uh, in, in addition to that, I'm helping to coach my son's basketball team. So, Oh, fun. Yeah. You are definitely vertically qualified to coach basketball. <laughs> uh, I believe, listeners, that Tim had to duck coming through the door of the studio today. Maybe not. Well, if if it's anywhere close, I duck because it hurts if you don't. And that's, <laughs> that's the reason, I, the true reason I'm bald is from hitting the door frames and scraping it off. <laughs> All right. Tim, where can people go to get more information about you, your ministry, to contact you for speaking engagements? Uh, the best place would just go to my website, which is midwestapologetics.org. Uh, that would you could contact me directly through that, um, and there's a, a store online there if you want to look at some of the books I've written um, or contributed to, and uh, if you want to see some of the articles I've written there, I've got plenty of them on there. But there's also hundreds of articles that you can look at on the Answers in Genesis dot uh, org website that I've I've written too. Okay, and that's midwestapologetics.org. That's all one word. Yep, that's all one word. Okay, and then Answers in Genesis dot org as well. And now, listener, how would you like to win a signed copy, yes, I said signed copy, of Tim Chafee's new book, Noah, Man of Destiny? Visit the giveaway page at witnesstalkradio.org for details. Deadline for entries is January 31st, 2017. Tim, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I truly appreciate your time and effort and all that you do for the kingdom of God. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure, and it's a good way to start the day. Thanks for listening to another episode of Witness Radio. Visit witnesstalkradio.org to find the show notes and leave feedback. Don't forget to join us on social media and share this episode with your friends. Now that the show is over, it's time for you to go. That is, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. May God bless you. This show has been a production of the Muniac family. Please pray for us as we continue to minister in the tri-state area and around the globe with Christ-centered programs.